I'm here with multi-award winning editor and director Emer Reynolds. Emer, we're here to talk about your new documentary, The Farthest, but others will know you as an editor from Patrick's Day, The Eclipse, One Million Dubliners, which you won an IFTA for, and she's also won an IFTA for her other documentary, Here Was Cuba, My Brothers, Shameless, and Timbuktu. So we were here to talk about The Farthest, which is your latest documentary, uh, which I was lucky enough to see last Sunday in the IFI, and it completely blew my mind as as a, a total meditation on uh, an exploration of, on space, interstellar travel. And can you just tell us a little bit about, about The Farthest for those who haven't seen it? Well, thank you for... I'm delighted it blew your mind. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, well, it's a, the farthest is a big epic cinema adventure story centered around the Voyager spacecraft and its tiny little iconic cargo, the Golden Record. And both of them have been flying through our solar system since 1977, exploring all the planets. And recently they became the first human-made object to leave our solar system, in fact, and enter interstellar space, place where we've never been before. Mm. So, you know, it's more, but it's more than a film about space. It's actually a film about curiosity and dreams and hope it's all about you know the very nature of being human really it's for anyone who's ever looked up at the night sky and wondered absolutely and I did um I did when I went home um that night I really did start questioning that kind of thing it was because I was thinking about everything that was spoken about our place like you're saying our place in the universe and you know it's such a vast story um what attracted you to it in the very beginning Great love of science and, mm-hmm. and space since I was a child, but of a sci-fi fanatic and, you know, dreamed about being an astronaut my whole life and always very curious about the Voyager spacecraft. It, throughout my childhood, it was traveling, you know, where no human had ever been before. He was sending back pictures from Uranus and then sending back pictures from Neptune three billion miles away. I couldn't believe it, you know, so always thought it would make a fantastic story. Always thought it would fantastic film. It's such a great story. It's so mm-hmm. romantic. It's so hopeful. It's so poetic. And dazzling that we could achieve this as humans. So after John Murray and I co-directed Here Was Cuba together, we, d- we were discussing making a film about Voyager, discovered a kind of an equally, fas- an equal fascination in each other with space and with Voyager. And, you know, we talked about how we might tell it today. It, you know, it amazingly has never been seen on a cinema screen before. Mm. Had There's been a few TV documentaries, but it had never been treat- given the, the full cinema treatment, which we were so excited to realise. And around the time we talked about making it, um, Voyager 1, as I said, left the solar system and became the first human-made object out in interstellar space. Big historic, massive historic moment in in yeah. world and mankind's, humankind's history. So it was back in the news and it was, you know, it was the perfect moment maybe to, to let this story out. And uh, we got a lot of interest in the story very quickly and yeah. very quickly for a documentary. We raised the funds in under two years and we're filming, began filming mm. in 2015. And how long did it take you to do that? You saying two years? So two years, two years to raise the funds, and then two years to make the film. Why well, so yeah. four in total? Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. And um, which is short for a documentary? Is it? <laughs> so believe. what? Like, what's the average lifespan? I have five to seven. Five yeah. to seven. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that really struck me about the documentary, one of the loveliest things, was that it's it's so human. You put the human element really back into science. So there is obviously a lot of science fact and information, and you go into how the satellites were built and all this kind of thing. But it's so nice to hear them you know the scientists behind a talk about their journey of this these 40 40 odd years being a part of this this adventure and they, you know they're quite parental they talk about it as though it's this child of theirs you know can you talk a bit about that i mean it's a it's a gorgeous surprising part of the documentary mm-hmm. 
how emotional it is and how human and how funny it is. You know, these yeah. characters who have probably been asked about Voyager 200 times over the last 40 sure. years, they they were so eager to tell you the human story, you know, to tell you, uh, uh, like science can be intimidating. Yeah. And what they've achieved is so mind-blowingly powerful and intense. You know, it, it's very, very technical, but they, they actually, I didn't want to communicate to just a kind of a, like myself, kind of a space geeky audience. I wanted to talk to a general audience who could really get on board with the, the human story. So, and, and found in the scientists and in the engineers, when we approached them, a great, a great desire to tell that story too, you know, to, to basically throw off the kind of the scientific coat yeah. and tell you what it felt like to be a person there, what it felt like to dream it up, to imagine this thing, to hope to have the curiosity and the imagination to, to think it might work and then to make it go. And, and they, you know, they really were happy to be t to talk to me at that level of being there as a person. And they're really inspirational and they really do. Some of them, of course, think of it as like a robot. It's just a, yeah. you know, it's just a machine out yeah. there. But actually mo much more of them have this massive human connection to it, mm. that they built it. They had their hands on it. They they programmed it. They planned what it would do and they're watching it knocking it out of the park, you know, for years and years and years and now achieving something that, you know, we, they could have only dreamed of. So they have this massive love for it and deep emotional attachment to it. And, you know, we were, we were very privileged that they were uh, prepared to to share that with the uh, the film audience. Yeah, I have to say there's one thing that I've, I've, I got very emotional at the end. I really felt that connection. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it, it is really nice to see that part of science because I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't see that side of it. And one thing that he mentioned in the Q&A in, in the IFI after after the screening was that some of the scientists were actually very devout Christians and I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that. Yeah, that, I mean, that was that was a very interesting part of the journey for us. I mean, obviously the every interview was very long. I think I did each interview was over three hours long. So we had lots of time for, you know, wandering in, in and out as the film does yeah. into, you know, the big cosmic questions, the primal questions, maybe that space evokes in us, you know, these concepts about are we alone? Why are we here? How did it all begin? How, did we, how will it end? How insignificant we are in, in this huge cosmic night so there were, you know we were definitely wandering around all those big philosophical questions about existence and as a result then we wandered into on occasion with some of the scientists um into the the, the conversations to do with religious belief and one of the scientists is quite a devout christian and that was very mm -hmm. interesting talking with her she keeps yeah. saying she sees no conflict between her christian views and her science you know she keep, kept saying god loves science you know which was very interesting to to engage with and and one of the other scientists um you know quantum physicist he he basically told me he had gone all the way from quite a religious christian upbringing in philadelphia and christian schools had kind of wandered all the way away into atheism via quantum physics and his understanding of the universe that way. And then the deeper he got into those concepts and the, how mental it is at the quantum level, how mental physics is at the quantum level, he had basically come back all the way around to believing that there would be a, a creator. So, uh, yeah, that was it's, it's fascinating. And yeah. I, I must put the uh, interviews online at some point. They're also interesting in their extended form. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people would like that. And especially there there's so many really quite effusive personalities, especially um, Lawrence Grouse, who was a cosmologist mm. in the film and he was there at the, the IFI. And he's he's an awful lot to say about the universe and, you know, survival and the planet. And it's interesting. One 
scientist in the documentary says that, you know, she thinks that a lot of people associate space exploration with the survival of the human race. Mm. And yet Lawrence Krauss was saying that really we should be looking after our own planet. So I'm just wondering how you feel about that. Look, you know, I think it's an absolutely gorgeous uh, dichotomy. You know, the film, the film definitely is saying, look, we're not going anywhere soon, you know. Space is too big. <laughs> We're so isolated. You know, the distances are too far. There is no habitable planet in this solar system. We're not going anywhere soon. So it's incumbent upon us to take care of this precious jewel that we're on via of course the great story because Voyager 1 is the is the spacecraft that took the famous pale blue dot picture which yeah. is featured in the film where Carl Sagan points out this miniature little speck of of dust basically in a giant blackness of space and says that's where you live everyone you've ever known everyone you ever loved is on that planet so the film definitely you know is well into um that love affair with earth and that how incumbent upon it is how incumbent upon us it is to take care of it and to protect it but of course there's also this there's a bigger there's a and there's an anger to do with that you know to do it we're we're ruining it and you might have a moment in history now where there's a kind of a suspicion of science and there's Mm -hmm. a a cavalier attitude to what we're doing to the planet so the the film is definitely and all the scientists are definitely in that camp however in cosmic in cosmic terms like in cosmic time terms this planet cannot sustain us um, indefinitely yeah. no matter how well we look after it in four or five billion years we will not be this planet will not be habitable because it'll just the sun will go into a red giant phase that's happening we can't stop that this planet won't be habitable so ultimately I think Carolyn Porker who says that we'll have to find a way to live off this world if we want to survive long term yeah. billions of years now admittedly we do have to leave so both of those realities are also true you know but yeah. even if we can figure out a way to get off this planet and have colonies on other distant planets it's n- it's not happening it's not happening in the next you know hundreds yeah. of years like th- th- that's for us to s- we need to save this planet that we've got right now because mm-hmm. you know it's the only home we have that's very true and i i think that's uh I don't think anyone would argue with you. I should, I certainly wouldn't anyway. Um, I'm just going to go back to the, uh, just I suppose, the filmmaking process. Um, do you worked with Kate McCullough? Yeah. Um, what was what was she like to work with? She's, a, a, she's, a, she's just talented and wonderful DP. Did she have any hand in, you know, the, a lot of the CGI animations where you see the satellite traveling through interstellar space or was it really just the kind of the interview uh, footage itself? So in Galway, uh, Gar O'Brien interviewed her, as, uh, introduced her on stage as Kate McCulloch, the awesome. So uh, <laughs> let's go with that. She's, a, you know, an amazing artist and a great friend and a great collaborator. And she she also filmed Here with Cuba with me. So mm-hmm. we have a really good relationship. And um, she wasn't involved in the CGI particularly. That all happened p- p- post-shoot. Sure. But... Um, that, you know, what we filmed, and it's more hidden in the film than you might know, you might see, we... we not only did she film all the interviews, she filmed the, there's a huge amount of um, visual material, mm. you know, all the, the macro detail of all the, the, the droplets and the all the golden record grooves and all this weird space stuff we riffed on. So the, and also the, all the beautiful shots. I mean, she shot everything in the film apart from the archive and the CGI. But, you know, the, the beautiful shots, tracking, looking up at the sky and Kate designed all those. So, you know, there's a we have a. Kate 
and myself and Joe Fallover, our production designer, did an awful lot of work together before we ever shot, much like you would on any feature film, mm-hmm. designing yeah. the feel and the look. We were talking about how we wanted it to to feel in the cinema, you know, epic and beautiful yeah. and and detailed and poetic and, and modern, which she was very keen on modern, you know, that it wouldn't yeah. feel like an old story. So uh, and colours, you know, we were all about blues and chromes and oranges and really just designed quite a, you know, a, a look that would unify all the elements. There was always going to be interview and archive and and CGI and, you know, and then and then the whole visual palette, both the stuff we shot in America and the interviews and all the stuff we shot in the studio. That was all, you know, very very coherently and collaboratively worked out between Kate and I. Yeah, and I think I think definitely the feel of the film. It's not only it's very accessible as a story, mm. that way you've told it, but also you're right. It doesn't feel like an old story. It just it feels like. Uh, I mean, I think it's quite nostalgic in places because we talk about the seventies, mm. the eighties, mm. and nineties. But I, I I think the feel of it is 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 very modern. Um, so great job on that. <laughs> and some of that, of course, is uh, you know. The interviews, you know, the in- yeah, for sure. The interviewees are prepared to be kind of lively and human and present, but also the music, I think, plays a big part in the modern feel too. You know, now yeah. it, it also does the it also does the other because a lot of the big tracks in the film are seventies tracks. Mm-hmm. But the actual score, written by Ray Harmon, also awesome. Yeah, he wrote a really current, lively, guitar-y kind of you know electric guitar and acoustic and bells and all this beautiful score, really iconic score. So I think that also helps this. It feels very fresh through those ears too. Definitely, yeah. And I, even I think the opening where you kind of we have that song, is it wishing on a star? Yeah. And then yeah, the yeah. kind of satellite traveling, doing its thing it's through beautiful. interstellar space. I suppose so you, you spent a lot of time in the States then doing this and there's so much archive footage. I mean, was that did you have any hand in the I Fi archive? Was it mostly archives in the States? Yeah, it was all we had an archive researcher, Aoife Carey, and I, I don't know if there was any archive come out of the IFI, but I believe it was mostly from the States, huge amount from NASA and JPL, mm-hmm. and then radio and TV type stuff that came out of the States around Voyager. And then obviously uh, our fantastic editor, Tony Cranston, had mm-hmm. uh, over a thousand hours of archive mm-hmm. to pour over and pick through and... And then so much original material that Kate and I brought in, including under over 120 hours of interviews. So, you know, we had we had a, a big mountain to climb when we had finished mm-hmm. the shoot to try to find the great essential story in there. And uh, Tony is an amazing editor, great storyteller, but also an amazing comedy editor. He's won a okay. number of BAFTAs and stuff for brilliant comedies. So because it is funny. It's yeah. So funny, he was yeah. he was he was, you know. Looking through the archive, my brief was to try to find the characters that are in the film in the archive and try to find fresh and interesting stuff. But he was like a hound dog looking for the funny moments, looking for the real human bits, you know. And as a result, the film, especially through the archive, tells a really funny story of people, you know, on this journey together and getting more comfortable with the press as they go along. And, you know, and and, and this gorgeous idea of this team that that were really close and, and explored the, the universe, explored the solar system together. Yeah. I thought they all had a really good sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of the jokes were kind of spacey. It took me a while to kind of know where they were coming from. But <laughs> Nerdy. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, they totally were, but they, they had a great sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I'm, I really, I'm going to credit them for being so funny in general, but Tony, you know, for being, you know, having the, you know, finding those gems and really... Um, featuring them mm. and it's like where do you with those hundreds of footage it's quite daunting to have to pick through all that stuff I mean where do you begin with 
all of those hours and hours of footage and is there anything that you would have loved to keep in that maybe didn't make the final cut? Yeah, the, I mean, it, it's daunting. It certainly is daunting. And I'd say we could have made 10 films. Mm. There was so much story and detail that we we weren't able to feature. And how do you do it? You really just have to start and, and try to pick your way through and, and not lose confidence, you know, just keep going. And, you know, we always said that the journey of thousand miles starts with a single step you'll just start and it'll start to appear it'll start to emerge and it mm -hmm. did and of course there were some blind alleys and red herrings and you know things that yeah. we tried that didn't work and other things that we really wanted to you know we didn't believe in but they were actually necessary and and of course it's a gorgeous you know you're building you're constantly building and refining and building and refining and I said that there was 10 films in there, but I think we were just trying, we were just looking for the essence of it, but yeah. not to be, not to be cutthroat in the essence, you know, that we were allowed have little kind of hilarious anecdotes and, you know, stuff that was off the point, but was essential to the point of the character of the film, the point of the character of the story, of the, the characters, you know, to yeah. allow them their, their personalities, because that's actually what makes the film so so human you know yeah and you, you, you see real people of, you do and you're kind of i think by the end of it you do have your favorites you know you do like you like listening to one person over another um who was your favorite i really liked i liked the the woman who was kind of she i think she had a british accent i can't i can't remember a lot of Fran Bagnall, yeah she's really brilliant yeah and i i really liked i liked Clarence krauss because he was so different to the rest of them he was very he's very outgoing and he's very animated and he's very sure and certain of his opinions on the cosmos and the universe and uh he he does have a cynical element to him but he's also he says a lot of truth as well i think and he says he kind of brings you brings you into it a lot. yeah and his yeah. role in the film because obviously he, he wasn't uh, intimately involved with the voyager mission he yeah he was brought in as a kind of a, a disruptor yeah you know, definitely, that he yeah. would kind of come in and 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 really be given a moment to say oh space is huge you've no idea how huge it is it's this it's that and it makes no sense to us you know and just basically riff on these big spacey ideas and then we've got to go and back to the story you know and he yeah. really works at that level and one of one of my favorite lines in the film is a line where he says he says um people say to me what's what, what's the study of space for like what's what's and he says you never ask what a picasso painting is for or yeah. a mozart a symphony but why does science have to have a function uh, you know to be for something to make technology whatever he said the most amazing thing about science is the ideas you know that's the the principle of the film you know science is amazing science rocks you know science yeah. will save the world yeah he was kind of a tonic because he really does yeah you know no pun intended bring you to back down to earth a little bit yeah because it's so easy i think when you're watching it to kind of sit there and you almost get to this point where your head's going to explode with all the information on the science and then he's kind of he's kind of like this he just sort of says well look come over here what it let's, is. yeah and, you yeah, know and he's yeah. he's a great personality to yeah him as well. and he does as you say he, he he's like a reset button he brings yeah, you he back does, to yeah. it and then we can go out again now we're going to go to neptune yeah yeah definitely yeah mm. so i um i actually have a quick fire round for you so yeah, now yeah, we're okay. going to change things up a bit so these are there's only a few great and uh controversial some might say one of them is anyway. I'm not sure how you feel anyway. Okay. Um, so these are all kind of, some of them are based on space, some of them are based on the farthest. So we'll see. So Jupiter or Saturn? Saturn. Neptune or Uranus? Uranus, actually, because I feel so sorry for Uranus. <laughs> Everyone's all, oh, it was a bit blah. It was a bit like non-photogenic. And I'm, 
my friend Carl McDermott, who's a brilliant comedian, he kept saying to me, you know, after all these generations of being saddled with a name like Uranus, now it's, <laughs> you know, now it's the unremarkable planet, the undazzling planet. Yeah. So I feel sorry for Uranus. So and they're all, they're all quite polite. They say Uranus. The Americans say Uranus. Uranus. Yeah, 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 which I thought was... Which um, is probably the right way to go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and I, I thought what was lovely is one of them, one of the scientists says that... Um, one of them says it's not photogenic and the other says hiding secrets, which I liked. Exactly, exactly. And it's such mystery. a beautiful, it's a beautiful planet. It's yeah. really delicate and the colour and everything. I just love it. Um, Chuck Berry or Mozart? Oh, Mozart really, weirdly, but I'm probably not supposed to say that. Is that That's not the controversial question? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Voyager 1 or Voyager 2? Voyager 1. Buzz Aldrin or Neil Armstrong? Buzz Aldrin. Life on Mars or interstellar space travel? Interstellar space travel. This is a controversial one. Yes or no, is Pluto a real planet? <laughs> I'm going with Pluto as a real planet. Um, I don't think they're allowed, they should be allowed to redefine a planet. Once yeah, we've agreed I, it's a planet, let's I, just stick I think with it's, that. I think it's a planet. Totally. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you travel to space? I would. And in fact, I got into trouble with my family one Christmas, about two or three years ago, and I basically admitted over Christmas dinner that... I would go on the one-way trip to Mars and they, they weren't very happy. They yeah. were not impressed. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lastly, what would your message be on the golden record? Oh, you know, I might say don't. Well, I have kind of two messages. Okay. <laughs> on good days, I'd probably say, please come here and help us figure out what to do with overpopulation <laughs> and pollution and all the way we're wrecking the planet. On bad days, I'd probably say, don't come here. Where We can't be trusted. We'll probably find your planet and wreck it too. <laughs> um, Ema Reynolds, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, everybody, I mean this when I say everybody should go and see the farthest. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you.